was always rules around the house, which again, now I look back are really strange, but there'd be things like, you were only allowed to use so many sheets of toilet roll. And it was, these things were genuine to us and they were terrifying and you wouldn't have disobeyed him for anything he told you to do, no matter how ridiculous it seemed. Welcome to Precarious Parenting, a podcast series for people feeling overwhelmed by family life in general. Do you often wonder whether you're doing it right? Or do you wonder whether it's okay to be just a good enough parent? My name is Marie Arimar, founder of Realization Works, guiding young people and parents back to clearer thinking. And this podcast series provides the opportunity to hear real people sharing real stories about how they manage to see beyond their overwhelm. So today I'm joined by Laura Gordon and Laura is the daughter of Deb Simmons. Now, my my last podcast episode I recorded was with Deb, who had experienced ongoing domestic abuse for years. And she talked about how it affected her, but more so her children, who are grown up now. And she said that she only really escaped when she truly had seen the effect of this abuse, this ongoing abuse on her children. And she escaped with the help of women's aid. And so while we were talking, Laura, her daughter, popped in and it was like, oh, I need to talk to Laura. We need to have a part two. So this is actually we have part one and part two. So please, if you haven't listened to part one, please take time to listen to Deb's story too. So Laura, hello. Hello, hi, I'm part two. <laughs> part two, thank you so much for joining me and, and you've escaped your home life with your little lad. And um, so, so, so tell me, you know, would you introduce yourself and, and, and what your, your home, your work, your, your everyday life is, please? Yeah, um, so I've got a wonderful life now. So um, my name is Laura, I'm married um, to my husband Christian um, and we've got a little boy together who's 17 months old. So I'm a full-time mum to Zach. Um, I've been, actually, I've been writing a book recently. So I've just started my journey with that, which I'm really enjoying. But mainly a full-time mum at the moment. <laughs> Takes up and, all of my time. <laughs> indeed. And but your book is a, is it, is, is it a thriller? It's a psychological thriller, yeah. <laughs> ah, can you plug it at all? Has it got a working title or is it nearly there? Um, so the, the book that I'm working to release at the moment, that's my first book, um, and that's called Stranger by Night. Um, and I'm working with a professional publisher at the moment to get that out ah. there. So it's really exciting, yeah. <laughs> so this really is, if anybody's listening, this is this is hot off the press. This is big news. <laughs> so I can't wait to, um, to to read that when it comes out. <laughs> so so Laura, you know, on a more more serious, well, your book's serious, but on a more serious <laughs> level, talking about your your experience as a child. Yeah. What what was your experience and, and your brother and your sister, but you're, you're, you're our, you're our representative today. <laughs> what was your experience of your parents' marriage? You know, from your point of view, how did it look to you? Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess when I was younger, um, I assumed that it was normal. Um, in, in my early years, um, I actually, when I was younger, I worshipped my dad. 
Um, he was my role model. I adored him. I thought he was fantastic. And I just thought everything was completely normal. And I don't really think it was until I started to get a bit older and I was doing things like going and visiting friends and things like that, that I saw that their parents didn't interact in the same way as mine did. Um, and that, and there was also a lot around, um, the fact that they wouldn't treat the children differently in the same way that, that my dad did. He would treat us all completely differently. We really felt like we had different ranks in the family. Um, so the marriage, I guess now looking back, that I realise how uneven the marriage always seemed. Um, and there was always, it always sort of felt sided. So you had to take a side. You were either mum's side or dad's side. Um, which was obviously now I realised was strange. But as I say, at the time, everything seemed quite normal. I didn't didn't realise until I'd seen other people's experiences of their home life to realise that it was any different to how it should be. Uh, yeah, and, and how did that... What, what were you experiencing that you that you saw other your friends other families weren't so I know you've just said about taking sides and but but what was actually going on for you that that wasn't going on in other families that you you Uh, were aware of so as I say for a long time I didn't realize I, I didn't I don't know I guess now looking back I probably did know it was wrong but I didn't think that I did at the time and when I was very young um my dad um would really take against my sister for a lot of things he'd really bully her and pick on her for things and we could do the same kind of things but somehow it would be wrong that my sister did those things um and there'd be certain things that we'd have to hide from him that we'd do there was always rules around the house which again now I look back are really strange but there'd be things like you were only allowed to use so many sheets of toilet roll and it sounds crazy you think well you would never have known but somehow you felt that he would it was these things were genuine to us and they were terrifying and you wouldn't have disobeyed him for anything he told you to do no matter how ridiculous it seemed because those rules to you you felt like he would know and then you'd just be in so much trouble it would be terrifying um but more so for for a lot of years it was more so my sister um she was the one who took the brunt of it for a long long time until I sort of reached my teenage years um, and then the roles sort of shifted again um, but yeah, it was that sort of thing. It was seeing how differently we were all treated and the, the rules that as you get older, you realise those rules are just ridiculous. But at the time, it just seems normal. It seems you imagine that that's how everybody lives. So as you, as you started to see what could be classed as normal in other households, I guess they were your friends' households. Yeah. You know, what, how, how did, how did, that settle with you did you did you try and reach out to other parents or friends um I don't think I ever reached out to any of the parents as such um I know I remember um being sort of pre a pre-teen and phoning Childline to speak to them for help um and I remember speaking actually to um my paternal grandma so it was actually my my dad's mum um I remember when um, Josh was born so Josh is nine years younger than me um, and in all of the years before Josh was born as I say me and my dad were like best pals I was just like we were just 
really, really close. Um, and then when Josh came along when I was nine, there was a huge shift in things then. Um, and Josh became his, that was him and Josh were piled up then. Um, and I remember my, my grandma saying to me, um, I don't know how you don't take it out on Josh more the way that things have changed since Josh has come along because your dad just treats you completely differently now. Um, so that was where sort of the biggest shift happened for me. And then I don't, so by that age, I was sort of, as I say, probably preteen. So I was of an age there when I probably wouldn't have reached out to anyone else's parents, but I definitely started speaking to friends about it. Um, but I think, I think it was hard for the people to, get a grasp on what he did um, with the type of abuse that we suffered. A lot of it, it was mental um, and he was extremely clever. He's, when they're manipulative like that, I can't even begin to explain how clever they are. Um, and I know he would do things in such a way that he could explain it to make it sound like it was perfectly normal and it, it was, it would just boggle your mind. You just, you couldn't get to a point where you could explain why it wasn't normal. And then if you reached out and tried to speak to anybody else and told them some of the things that he would do, they'd be like, oh yeah, my parents have rules and my parents don't like me doing this and they're funny with me sometimes. And it would just confuse you so much because then you'd start to think, oh, well, it, it must be normal then. It must be just me. I'm sensitive to it or things. I don't know. I take it wrong or, but it, it must be more normal than I think it is. It's, it's, it's me that's got this wrong somehow. And it would just leave you so confused. <laughs> and then, and I, and I think I can relate slightly to what you're describing because then blind panic comes in. Yeah. And when you think that you, you want to try and express yourself, you, it's like you're unable to even form a sentence, let alone, yeah. you know, yeah. and then you doubt yourself even more. So in and another huge, sorry, another huge part of the manipulation is um, the cycles that, that you go in. Um, so when you're in a manipulative or abusive relationship with somebody, it, it's not, because you hear a lot of people saying, oh, if somebody treated me like that, I'd walk out straight away. I wouldn't put up with that. If somebody hit me once, I'd be gone. You hear all these things, which is so easy for people to say but when you're in these relationships it it's so confusing for you because you'll you'll go through this cycle where things will get worse and worse and worse until they're at a stage where you, you get to a point that you're like I can't take this anymore that's it I've had it and so then you you get to the point where you think you're going to walk out and I remember us all sitting down as families and having conversations about the problems and then he he talk to you about all this and explain it all and, and make it feel like it was your fault. And then he'd actually then turn things around and things would become much, much better. And he'd do some really nice things and we'd have some really nice family time and then things would seem really good. So you start doubting everything and believe everything that he told you. And then slowly the cycle would start again where things would get worse and worse and worse again until you were back to the stage where you couldn't take it anymore. And it would just go on like that the whole time. Yeah. So, so you said earlier that um, you called Childline. Yeah. And then you reached out to your paternal grandmother. Yeah. How, how old were you when you um, when you called Childline, and 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 how come you decided to do that? Um, I was probably about. I, I'd imagine I was probably about twelve. Mm. Um, and just because I was getting to the stage where I 
didn't know who else to turn to. I didn't really trust anybody, I guess, by that point. Um, I, I, for most people, I think when things are difficult, you turn to your family. Mm. Um, but when your family are the source of your problems, that becomes extremely difficult. And I know for me as sort of a teenager, I didn't know any avenues that I could take to get any sort of support or help and really struggled to know who to turn to and who to ask for help. And as I say, at that age, especially being a teenager, um, I don't think you do always take each other seriously when your friends are trying to talk to you about things. And I think there's a lot more aware awareness of things now and that is probably changing. But I know for me as a teenager, I don't think I believed that people would have taken me seriously if I'd have reached out for help. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, I mean, that's such a lot to carry as a, as a 12-year-old, isn't it? Yeah, yeah uh, definitely. So how did you view your parents, you know, your mum and your dad as, as individuals when you were, sort of, you know, I don't know, 10, 12, 14, whatever, you know, how, how did you see them? It definitely, things definitely changed. So as I say, when I was younger, um, I always viewed my dad as sort of a hero. He was this real presence. I mean, for years and years, he was such a presence when he walked into a room. He was, and he always came across as the life and soul of the party. And it felt like everybody else thought the world of him and thought that he was wonderful. Um, and, and I felt the same for a lot of years. Um, and I viewed my mum as incredibly weak and I could see, I watched the manipulation and the abuse. So I, I viewed her in a very similar way to my dad did because I hero worshipped my dad. So as far as I was concerned, his views on things and people were right. Um, so I definitely went along with his his version of things for a long time um, but it did definitely shift in my teens as I say with my dad it got to a point where um, by the time I was I would have been about 14 or 15 um, I hated him absolutely hated him um, but I still things hadn't turned around with my mum by then either I still viewed her as weak um, and I was angry with my mum by that age for letting us all go through it for not helping us not doing anything about it for allowing him to do what he did I I was completely trapped I was a teenager I wasn't old enough to leave or go anywhere or do anything I was stuck with my mum and dad and this awful situation was going on the whole time and I was furious with my mum for not helping us get out of it sooner so yeah, for a lot of years, I viewed my mum as very, very weak and didn't think a lot of my mum either. <laughs> you And you were both so incredibly trapped, you know. Yes, yeah. And I don't think at that time I could appreciate that my mum was also trapped. I viewed me as the one who was trapped and my mum as the one making the choice to keep us there. And it wasn't until afterwards that I could see that actually mum was also trapped. <laughs> and that's so um, important because, you know, I work with um, younger people a lot, you know, and I might be working with a 12 year old and, mm -hmm. and it's like the secrets that they're holding because they don't think anybody else will listen yeah. or the confusion that they think what's going on at home isn't right, but they're not mm -hmm. completely certain. Yeah. Um, they try and reach out in different places and they don't get the help back. You know, yeah. it's so they close down, they close down, they close down. Yeah. yeah I think it's mm -hmm. such an important message. Yeah. You, you, 
In in your mum's podcast, she talks about um, you taking on the role of your dad's spy, and you've already mentioned about the cycle of abuse and how it's very, very common for mm. abusers to recruit children into different roles. Yeah. Uh, and we talked in, in podcast part one about um, the manipulator, the caretaker, uh, the motivator, the, the spy. Um, yeah. You know, there's lots of roles. And, and so would you, would you be happy to talk to that, to, to your role as the spy in, in this story? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so, um, yeah, that was, in, again, in my younger years. Um, it was when my sister was the one who was taking the brunt of it. Um, and I remember um, my dad would ask me things. He would ask me about things that happened during the day. Um, and I, I also remember feeling, which I guess, again, cut me out of the relationship with my mum and sister more and pushed me towards my dad because I remember feeling like my mum and sister would be secretive towards me. Um, and I remember feeling that they had a much stronger relationship and a much stronger bond than I had with either of them. Um, I, I really clearly remember feeling like, like that, that. I didn't really have a place with them. Um, so again, that would have just pushed me towards him, I suppose, um, which again I didn't realize at the time um but he yeah he would ask me to sort of report back to him on what they'd done during the day and things that had happened and and I would I would go and I would tell him if there was anything that I thought would sort of help keep me in favor if you like um I would do that because he was my ally and it was the easiest way to stick with my ally to do what he wanted me to do um and I was just a child. I didn't understand that what I was doing was causing problems for anyone else or causing upset. All that I saw it as was that I was pleasing my dad. And that was all that I thought that I was doing. I didn't realise at the time the implications that that would have for my sister or my mum. Well, it's self-preservation, survival instinct, I I guess. And and actually, you know, the feelings that um, your mum and your sister were secretive and I've sort of got air, air quotes you know there or yeah. <laughs> they had a closer bond you yeah. know was of course a product of manipulation anyway absolutely yeah yeah definitely and I felt that with um the extended family as well actually um a lot of my mum's family at the time I felt didn't like me um and I felt that they adored my sister and that nobody in the family really liked me so that was another thing that I really struggled with and again pushed me further towards him because I felt alienated by most of the family other than my dad. Right. And and when you were um you know working working with your dad as an as the ally, you know, in yeah. this in this kind of role that we're talking about, did you have any sense of um you know, right or wrong? I think the confusing thing for me at that time was because of his rules, when he was asking me to do things, like report back to him on things they'd done, I could justify it, I guess, because I felt like, well, they have broken a rule. So I should tell him what they've done because they've broken a rule and rules shouldn't be broken. So I guess I, I don't know whether I definitely knew fully whether as I say the implications of what I would tell him but I definitely had a sense of 
like I, I didn't want them to do things that were wrong. I didn't want them to be breaking the rules behind his back. So he had a right to know if they were doing that. Mm-hmm. So there would definitely be that side of it that, and it was that was confusing. <laughs> Gosh, yeah. Oh man, I can really imagine how confusing it was. <laughs> how did you start to pull out of it? Because um, you know, you're talking about being a 12 year old, and I think maybe that lasted a couple of years. I'm not sure. So what mm-hmm. what happened for you? in your own development, your own evolution, where you started to recognize that um, things weren't right, your dad wasn't the hero that you had, you know, the pedestal that you'd put him on. So mm-hmm. what, what was that journey like for you? Really hard. Um, so as I, as I mentioned, my, my, when my brother was born, um, it, so that probably would have started to change around because my brother's nine years younger than me. So it, would, it obviously wasn't instant because he was a baby. Um, but as he started to, to get a little bit older, so it probably was when I was about 11 or 12, things really started to shift. Um, my sister we moved away and my sister stayed um, in Coventry where we moved from Um, so that it was just the four of us then that moved Um, and so the roles completely shifted I took on the role that my sister had had and Josh moved into my role and so then things completely changed for me and my dad Um, he I started to be the one that he'd bully and pick on and I took the of the abuse then um, and I think the difference was me and my sister are very different people um, Gemma's really laid back and easygoing and and did take it a lot um, whereas I am much stronger willed and I, I'm just a very different person to Gemma um, so when he would do that to me I would back and I wouldn't take it and didn't like it and fought him um, so it started to build then and it in a way that it hadn't sort of escalated quite so far with Gemma it did with me um, because because I was fighting back against him I wouldn't just follow his rules and as I got older obviously then I did understand that some of his rules were ridiculous and unfair um, and, and even more so when I was spending more time with friends and I was growing up and realising that these things aren't normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and as, I, as that started to happen, things escalated with us and the abuse got worse and it then sometimes became physical as well because he would just lose his temper with me completely. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was... It was a really strange mixture of him trying to push me out and pull me back all at the same time. Mm-hmm. He would he, he would force me to do things with the family and then when I did it, he would be horrible to me the whole time that I was there because he would tell me that I was miserable and ruining everything. Um, and so I, he would just be even worse to me then if I did go, but he didn't like it if I wouldn't go. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there were times when... Uh, they would go out for the day as a family and he would agree to leave me behind, but I wouldn't be allowed into the house while they went out. Um, so I'd have to, they'd often go out at about eight o'clock in the morning um, and I'd have to get up and be out of the house by then. Um, and then I wouldn't be allowed back in the house until they got home that evening. Mum fought and fought until I could have a key so I could go in and use the loo. <laughs> but that was the extent of, what I'd be allowed home for and I'd have to ring first to have permission to go in to use the toilet um so yeah it was 
pretty crazy when you look back on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a really, really hard story. And, <laughs> and, and that doesn't do any of it justice, I know. Oh, no. <laughs> but here you are, uh, a mother, an author. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, how would you describe your journey into adulthood, motherhood? How do you see yourself? How do you see Christian, your husband? You know, how have you evolved, I suppose, into this this successful woman I'm talking to today? Thank you. Um, so, I, I mean, there was a lot of years where things were still really hard. Um, even once, um, because as I say, the, the abuse did become physical in the end. Mm. Um, and it actually got to the point where we, I think, I would have been taken out of the household if my mum hadn't left because mm. it was becoming too dangerous for me to stay. Mm. Um, so we reached out to Women's Aid and got the help from them. Um, but I, even after that, it was really hard for a long time. Um, we were all really confused. And obviously with him being the type of person that he was, he still continued to try and play the mind games and blame everybody else and come between us and try and separate us off by blaming mum for parts of what had happened and me and um, all to each other, obviously. So we did continue contact with him for a little while afterwards, um, which obviously didn't help. It was really confusing. And then I know because I still viewed my mum as weak, I think I then, I didn't know my role with my mum. I'd only ever seen her as this weak person who had been bullied and manipulated and allowed me to be in that situation. Um, So I didn't know any different other than to try to manipulate and bully people when I was in relationships with them. Um, And I definitely did that with my mum. And I, I think I probably would have gone down that path with my husband if I hadn't have got out when I did and um, there's there's a thing that I really love. It's about uh, um, uh, two sons, and the, the dad is an alcoholic, and one of the sons becomes an alcoholic, and one of them doesn't drink at all. And somebody says to them, to one of them, "Why are you an alcoholic?" And he answers, "Because my dad was." And the other one, they say, "Why don't you drink?" And he says, "Because my dad was an alcoholic." Mm. And it's it's that for me. I started to realize as we pulled away what my dad was and what he was becoming and what he was left with because of what he'd done Mm. and I just decided that was not who I was going to be that just Mm. wasn't who I am um and so it it wasn't as easy as to just make that decision and not do it I had to relearn how to be in relationships with people and how I could treat people differently I didn't have to be that person and there was a lot of times with mum especially where things went disastrously wrong when <laughs> just neither of us knew our role with each other and we didn't know how to be around each other um, I remember a couple of instances one in which I think mum threw a teapot at me <laughs> because we just we just didn't know how to be around each other um, but my husband is wonderful he is an incredible man he's he knows my past and we actually met when I was um only about 15 we got together when I was 16 um and he has just been my rock he understands everything and has been so supportive of me and patient with me and he's listened to me when I've 
been in the hardest and darkest times um, and he's really helped to pull me through um, but I, I just think and now from, with my son I look at him and I, I realise that I don't ever want him to feel like I felt I want him to grow up and feel secure and happy and confident and and you don't you don't love somebody by beating them down and trying to you know hold them back I I want him to be confident and go out and show what he can be yeah so things are very different now (laughs) yeah and I know that you know with within your own family you know your wider family there's so much love you're so close and absolutely yeah and and you know you are true testament that we are not our stories you know we're not our pasts Mm. you know we are what we are right now absolutely yeah well it's 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 really fabulous um talking to you about this so so what would be your message for anybody out there who maybe um they might be a young person who has a sense of what you're talking about they might be confused with what's going on in their homes or they might be a person who actually is in or might possibly be in an abusive relationship but hasn't quite realized yet or realized the potential harm to their children you know what what would you say to them as a, as a message of hope, I suppose? Uh, just to reach out, to speak to somebody that you trust. Um, people will listen to you and people will take you seriously. Um, I don't know. I think women's aid are under a different name now. Um, but to reach out to somebody like that, speak to them. They're, you're not going to be in any trouble for speaking to somebody, even if you think you've got it all wrong. Speak to somebody and just get clear on that. Make sure you've got it wrong. Because nobody is going to judge you. Nobody is going to question you. Just speak to somebody who will understand because there there will be the help there, even if you feel like it's not. There there will be the help there. And people aren't going to run back and and tell whoever it is that you're worried about. People will speak to you in confidence and will listen to your side of things. So find somebody that you trust and speak to somebody. Great, great message. So, Laura, if anybody wanted to reach out to you and chat to you about your experience, maybe yeah. a parent who's concerned about their child, and as an adult woman now, you you know you're in a, such a great place to to talk from your own experience. You know, yeah. um, how how would you recommend somebody get hold of you? Um, either through um, my mum's business, she runs the business of Dare to Be You, um, so I'd be happily contacted through that. Or if anybody wanted to speak to me directly and didn't feel like they wanted to go through anybody else, um, I'm Laura George um, and I'm on Facebook, so you could reach me on Facebook. I've got a page um, that might be easier to find, Mum's Right, which is spelled, the right is with a W. Um, so if it's easier to find me through my page, you can contact me like that. I'm happy to receive direct messages. Um, I know that there is a lack of support for um, sort of teenagers going through it. There seems to be a lot of help for children and a lot of help for sort of the, the partner in an abusive relationship, but not so much for sort of the teenagers. So I'm more than happy to listen if anybody feels they need to talk to anybody. You can always reach out to me, as I say, through private message, however feels most comfortable. Oh, fantastic. And I think you're right. I think that teenage and your story really emphasises that, that that young teenage time is is 
is is critical. Absolutely, yeah. Laura, you're a star. Um, I'm going to put um, Dare to Be You link um, in in the summary of this um, on the show notes. Yeah. And I'll also try and point people to Mum's Right as well. Thanks so much, Laura. Not at all. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Precarious Parenting by Realisation Works. Subscribe to realizationworks.com to access more resources, including monthly blogs written to be shared with younger people.